Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and this is Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dylan Maynaloff, who was my sister's fiance up until his death in June of 2021. So obviously this interview is a little different uh, looking back now. But I'm glad that I was able to share this time with him and he was so open and generous about a fascinating life he led. And I hope that those that knew him can use this to remember him better. All right. Let's hear Dylan. So um, how long have you been doing music? When did you start? Uh, forever. Uh, 14th, 13th. I had really bad bands in high school. When I went to college, I was in a, another bad punk band. And we played in New York. And uh, through that, I ended up seeing other bands that were really good and mm-hmm. uh, kind of took a creative influence from them. A lot of the cross-punk bands in uh, the Lower East Side at the time in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, East Village bands. <clears throat> and then uh, I ended up uh, dropping out of music school to go uh, hop freight trains around the world. <laughs> sure. And what what led to that decision? Um, I I was actually when I was in a big punk band and playing a lot of the shows, I wasn't allowed in the clubs, and uh, a lot of the crusty punk kids would uh, spare change outside the clubs to get into the show or just to spare change. And uh, I ended up befriending them, and uh, right. they uh, were taken off, uh, and they asked me if I wanted to come with. Well, um, was that like a difficult decision? Did you think I about wasn't it for doing very long? Yeah, yeah, a day. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they sure. were leaving. They were taken yeah. off. And of by that point, they had told me plenty of the stories of, like, hopping freight trains and traveling. And, um, and so I was pretty in awe. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I wasn't doing very good in school at that point. Like, I was really getting my, you know, I was not holding my 2.0 that I needed to keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... And I, you know, I didn't want to miss an opportunity I knew I'd never probably get a chance to do again. Mm-hmm. So where'd you end up going? Everywhere. I mean, South okay. America. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, everywhere. I went across the continental U.S. a bunch of times. And then uh, <clears throat> down to Mexico, Belize. Stayed there for a while. You know, went back up north. Uh, eventually down to Venezuela. You know, and, you know, all via... Uh, hitchhiking or friends with cars <clears throat> the mexican uh punk scene is really awesome and they really take care of people so they like just totally hooked us up all the way mm-hmm. each time uh how long were you doing that for uh about six years wow yeah so what age were you when you started and stopped 19 through 26 okay so those are some pretty formative years yeah Definitely. Yeah. 
it was it hard to like once you got back from doing that for so long was it hard to like find a job and like settle yeah, in absolutely so i ended up joining a band and then sure. that band at the time uh, had just signed to a pretty big label mm-hmm. and uh we we would tour then for you know six months nine months out of the year and uh so a similar the, lifestyle then yep kept traveling yep yeah so and that went on for three years and mm-hmm. the i finally uh separated from them and they would really not go on to get much bigger but you know at our height we were playing really big clubs to like a thousand people That's and, yeah. um and, and uh and then I broke off and wanted to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, why uh, punk music specifically? Uh, it's free. It speaks of the politics that I kind of, uh, you know, felt. Ide- the ideology was similar to me. Um, the people, the scene. Um, I finally was around people who got me. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the openness, you know, for everything, you know, to open to, you know, old cultures, races, there was no homophobia, there was, you know, uh, you know, that just that wasn't acceptable. Yeah. Any, any kind of racism or homophobia was just unacceptable. So that was <clears throat> big. Um, the freedom to do mm-hmm. whatever you want, you know, artistically. And so was that contrasted by where you were growing up? Like, were things different? And so you found a safe haven? Yeah, yeah. But my friends accepted me. But still, I mean, I grew up in kind of a hip-hop and hardcore culture. And, yeah, that's kind of machismo, you know. But, I mean, they still accepted me for who I was and stuff like that. And, you know, know, I grew up around a lot of those guys. And, uh, um... They, they were cool with me. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't an outcast in there as that much, you know? Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Um, what was it like? What year were you, you... What music school were you going to in New York, and what year? Oh, man. This is like the 90s. Uh, cool. And then, uh, Five Towns College. Right on. How, um, how was the 90s in New York? Like, it's... Cleaned up a fair amount. I'd love to hear. It was a so bit. different. It was yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was anarchy. Yeah. Uh, St. Mark's Place was uh, punk rock Disneyland. Oh, I'm you know? sure. And you know, so I stayed a lot at C Squat when I was there. It was a very popular squat then and now. Uh, there was another place called Dos Blocos in the Glass House. Those are all squats. They had shows there. When you say squats. Can you define that a little bit? Sure. It's a place that's been inhabited by people long enough to uh, – they, they live there for free. And they just mm-hmm. kind of – in C-Squat's um, case, they lived there long enough and they made the place habitable. You mm-hmm. know, they fixed the plumbing, the electricity. Um, so they legally own it now. Oh, wow. Yeah. No one right was on. taking care of it. It was, a, it was a tenement, you know. Understood. So you were hanging out there in T-Squats, and what else is going on? Well, I mean, there was also just the New York scene, hanging out in Tompkins Square Park. Um, uh, it was a really big traveler scene back then, so there was just 
uh, endless amounts of tra- people traveling coming through, mm-hmm. and uh, and you hung out with you know I hung out with those people, so you know I was really friends with them. I'd met them on the road. I also knew people from New York, so it was a good blend of both. And I assume you you would have been like really amped to go there as a young person, right? Did it exceed yeah. or meet? Well, your I, I was from Long Island, so it, that that New York was always. I was always gravitated to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I went to I went to uh, college, uh, you know, a year and a half early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the second I got into college, I wanted to be in Manhattan. Of course. Like I, I wanted I wanted to be in the Lower East Side. I wanted to feel all of it. I took many many weekends by myself, just roaming New York, and just to see everything. And no, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're coming up in that scene, I would imagine there's like a lot of uh, like drug and alcohol abuse. Did you fall into any of that? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone did. Yeah, of course. Everyone yeah. did. Um, so of the 30 friends I had as a kid, mm-hmm. I'd say five are still alive. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That's got a weigh on you. How's it that? It does. Feel? It sucks. Yeah. Uh, the, the the final uh, hit went down about two years ago, and I lost like four from that crew. Wow. And uh, but you know when I was about twenty six, twenty seven, I, I I'd say like ten of them died. Wow. And it was that was hard. You and know. that would have been around the same time you were stop um, stop hopping freight cars. Did, right. And I was traveling and touring. I actually first started Sayu Drum around that time, so maybe like twenty nine, okay. thirty. And mm. uh, they knew of it and, had, and, you know, had heard that I had this weird gypsy punk band and mm-hmm. I listened to it. Um, but, like, I kind of kept my distance at that point because I knew they were going through some serious stuff. And, uh, yeah, that, and they ended up dying around that time, too. That's unfortunate. I'm sorry to hear that. How have you come in and out? Like, what's your journey with? Uh, are you sober now? How do you operate? Yeah. And can you, you talk know, a little I mean, bit about that? Yeah. I mean, uh, so fit for heroin and drugs, it's been 15 years. Well, congratulations. That's yeah. very, that's worth uh, noting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, booze, you know, I, I still drink occasionally. Okay. It's, it's not a normal thing. Yeah. Um, what was the process like? getting sober and staying sober for that long um well you have to really really want it you know i i'd gone to a bunch of detoxes uh and, and rehabs and stuff like that and finally you know i had a stretch of time you know clean and just determination mm-hmm. you know was there any particular moment that where you realized where you could make it stick yeah, it was already in. I never had a big bright light, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of a dim one that got brighter. Sure. You know, yeah. and uh, I never had an aha. It, it it was just time had passed and I could finally keep the days after one another. And then just life was really good after a while. Yeah. And you just didn't, you didn't want to let it go. And you knew where you could go to let it go, you know. What led to the decision? Was it um, all? Oh, I blew everything up. Everything was in pieces. Yeah. In what way? Oh, my life, my family, my girlfriend. I had no place to go. Like, mm-hmm. it was everything. Yeah. yeah. That is you, besides getting sober, how did you start your to change your life once you'd made that decision? Like, after, how did you recover from your life 
being blown up, as you said. Slowly. Very yeah. slowly. <laughs> yeah. Piece sure. by piece. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you like, buy a bicycle and you go to work on a bicycle, you take the bus, you get up enough money, you buy a car, you get this thing, you get that thing, you know, and it builds up. And then, and, you know, 15 years later, you own a recording studio. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. How does that feel? Yeah. I mean, it's been a trip. It's been yeah. a trip. And, you know, and it, it took a long time, a lot of work, a lot of drive. Do you, um, do you still have the, uh, the itch? No, no. No, not at all. Because you've seen. I mean, it 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 comes in weird forms sometimes in a dream in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But nothing else. Have you thought about why you started taking drugs during your process of getting sober, or do you think it was a kind of a peer situation that like everyone else was around you was doing it, or do you think there's something internal that? That both, all of it. Okay. Know, I was kind of a shitty kid. <laughs> I was greedy. Yeah, I was greedy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I was super nice. I was always a really good guy, kid. But you know, I was greedy, and yeah, everyone else around me—that was pretty much it. You know, okay. All of it. Okay. I would love to hear, if it's not too personal, what it's like going through, like with detoxing and stuff like that. Oh man, it's awful. It's yeah. the worst. Yeah, it never ends. Uh, you know, you feel like there's a million worms crawling through your body. Um, you can't stop moving. Your body's shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you're nauseous. Uh, you can't feel, but you can feel everything. Everything smells really fucking strong. Nothing tastes good. Um, you're literally sick. Um, and you're lit- it's literally painful, too. Um and you can't sleep. So you feel like that nonstop till you finally collapse for maybe an hour and then you just wake up an hour later and still feel awful. And that lasts for about three days hardcore. Yeah. Uh, it's enough to like, yeah, make, I've heard of people jumping off bridges. You know, uh, I, I can understand why they would do that. Mm-hmm. You want it to end. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, but it, for some reason, you know, if you can persevere through, uh, finally after about three days, it it starts to soften. But it, you don't feel good for at least two weeks. Yeah. So yeah, it's a pretty yeah. shitty feeling. Do you think um, you have any like? Oh, I, I don't know how exactly to put this. Like any any baggage from all of that, like not necessarily physically, but like emotionally, knowing that yeah. you can, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Can you? Uh, yeah, um, I'm a kind of person now, mm-hmm. and there's no going back. And it's funny, but I can sense others. I can sense yeah. other ex junkies from across oh, yeah. the room, and in conversation doesn't take me less than a minute. And sometimes I don't even know that I'm doing it. I just, something res- is there that um, it's not with other people, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a dark humor. There's a aloofness that like, really, it's not that bad because I've seen it so much fucking worse. That mm-hmm. I'm completely unfazed by everything you know and it's not like that i don't care about people it's just that it, you really 
can get a lot shittier, you know, and um, everything can. And so, you know, and and they usually tend to have like a darker sense of humor and, mm-hmm. um, and, but there's an, a poet, a, a poetry involved too. There's a, there's a part of it that they can look at stuff with a little more uh, care mm-hmm. about it because they also know how impermanent it is. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine and that it's kind of similar to being through like a like a near death experience as well. Yeah. Because absolutely. in a way it is. Yeah. yeah. Um I think there's also a very similar thing with like people who have various like uh, mental issues or whatever you want to call it. Which I've noticed I can always tell when someone has a lot of anxiety or they're hyperactive. I immediately mm-hmm. can sniff it out. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that happens a lot more than people think. And it dictates who you're kind of, you gravitate towards in a way that I don't think a lot of people realize. Um, right. I mean, it, you know, and it's fine. So, you know, some of the people who died, um, mm-hmm. you know, I would meet them later on after they had gone through and cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I gravitated to them and I would find out later on that, oh, yeah, they're an ex-junkie. And, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> um, you know, and some, in some cases they went back out and that's how they mm-hmm. died, you know. And, um, you know, so it, it, you start to look at yourself like, fuck, man, I'm always just going to be gravitating to these kind of <laughs> fucking people and they're going to kind of keep on dying on me, you know, like, fuck, yeah. you know. And uh, that can do a number on you, too, you know. Of course. Um, how many times, if you don't mind me asking, how many times did you attempt to get sober before it stuck? Five, six. Yeah? Yeah. Did you think every time that this was the one? No. 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 I think the last couple of times I did, and I stre- and they lasted for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other times I was just trying to make everyone else happy. Okay. And, and, and self-preservation kicked in too it was like this is bad this is wrong i'm gonna die and i don't want to and you know and so it would last like three or four months maybe a year and then off you go Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um do you feel like you're a better musician now that you're sober oh yeah hell yeah absolutely yeah thousand times better yeah um I'd, i'd like to hear a little bit more about your your process as a musician and like how you write songs and you play, you write and you play guitar, right? Yeah, I play all the instruments, but the guitar is my mainstay. Okay. And how do you go about writing a song? So I use all processes. Um, no, there's no, nothing I don't, won't use. Um, usually the, it, it can be either. I can write, so I write a poem mm-hmm. and, um, I like it, and sometimes I'll put it to music. Other times I write music, and I can hear the melody in my head, and I can hear the words, and they come out, and I write a poem. Um, mm-hmm. For me, poetry and lyrics are one and the same thing, you know. Um, and so I'm very, very um, retentive about how perfect each word is and uh, mm-hmm. I won't I won't sing anything I, I don't 1000% believe that 
every word is where it should be and every line is exactly as it should be and mm-hmm. so you know if you can imagine i have like 15 unfinished songs you know of course. at, yeah, at yeah, all yeah. times because <laughs> they're just lingering there waiting to be finished because i will not sing them until they're perfect and mm-hmm. every word is exactly what i want it to be and i'm not forcing it and i'm not rushing it and um you know so there's songs definitely the ones i guess i'm more proud of that took three years mm-hmm. you know and i had to just keep on putting it down and pick it up later and listen to it and go through it and okay this is it and almost all of them come from a poem Mm-hmm. of some sort but you know there, there, there's nothing that like um you know there's no fundamental thing that i do it'll just kind of come to me i'll be driving in the car and you know just uh, nowadays i use my phone but you know back in the mm-hmm. day i rode on while i was driving on a steering wheel you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. and it's like it's, I, I know i have to put it down because it won't come again yeah yeah i absolutely understand i feel like um, as someone who does comedy, like there's a parallel there, like joke writing. You are so meticulous over it, and you have no idea, and you have to have like a way to notate it down because you don't know if you're going to remember it later. Yeah, I can um, only imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to hear more about what it was like, you know, going across countries um, on the the freight train because that's not something a lot of people do, and I think a lot of people yeah. would love to hear a bit about it. <clears throat> yeah. Um... So, you know, um, I'm not giving any secrets away. Uh, so, you know, there's a crew change guide. And it's literally that, um, you know, it's passed on from one hobo to another. You can't find it online, and it, as it should be. Um, and once you've got some time and you've met the right people, you, you can get a crew change guide. And that really will help out. Or you find a crew to go with, you know, some people who already have hopped the rails and they know times, places, and stuff like that. It's all been, it's all a giant algorithm, a mathematical algorithm. That train is leaving at 6.06, and it's arriving at 5.19. Mm-hmm. Not a minute later, not a minute earlier. And so when you have freight trains as opposed to, like, um, hitchhiking, you might get there faster hitchhiking, but you're definitely going to get there on a train mm-hmm. at that time. Um there's many different kinds of cars and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you don't really hop box cars. I mean, you can, but I, mean, I prefer not to. Um, you have to spike the door. Those doors can shut and lock, locking mm-hmm. you in them. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard of people dying like that. They suffocated. Um, you know, uh, grainers are much better. It's kind of hard to explain why. Uh, you can get 48s. Um, they're 48 feet long because that's what the cargo fits inside is. And they're actually... The cargo is actually 40 feet long, and it leaves a four-foot gap on each side, and that has a platform. Mm-hmm. And on that platform is a great place to sit down. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they stack a bigger crate on top of it, so you actually have a roof over your head, too. I and, see. Um, you know, so there's many different long lines, too. There's a high line that goes from pretty much Jersey to Oakland. And wow. it goes through goes through all the states including uh minnesota the uh, Mm -hmm. yard is up in fridley which is about just a suburb minneapolis and stuff and um i'd met a lot of minneapolis people strangely enough on the road so i had actually wanted to come up here and i had made up here for may day and when i arrived there was 
no kidding, like a thousand travelers and crusty punks hanging out. And I was like, wow, this is awesome, you know, and um, I got to come back here, you know, and, uh, you know, then going up, um, you're in the middle of nowhere. There's no orange in the sky because you're so far from civilization. The Mm -hmm. city doesn't show through. Um, There's some really beautiful places to go, Um, you know, up the uh, east, the western coast up to like Vancouver and stuff like that it's it's amazingly beautiful and mm-hmm. it's it's like they built the rail just so you can see all this cool shit <laughs> you you know like you know that like there's not many people in the world who get the view that you're getting um you know and it's adventure you know it's the mm-hmm. last great american adventure um and you know every <clears throat> you know um you know if you're going from like San Antonio to Austin um and you get into Austin Yard, the, the train doesn't stop. What happens is there's a bridge over uh, the river by there. And when you hit the bridge, you can see downtown and you know you have to kind of get ready to get off. And right past that bridge is a turn and the train's got to slow down to like 10 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you kind of get ready and you get on the rungs of the, of the side of the car and you wait for that bridge to get going and you get ready to go. And then once you see land, let go and, and you're, you're going to be running in like six foot strides and probably, mm-hmm. you know, crash and eat shit. But uh, <laughs> that's the best way to get off at that wow. spot. And that's like that's, you know, the knowledge that is passed on from one person to another is, hey, when you get there, this is how you get through this part. Yeah. You know, wow. and, uh, you know, it's and so many places are like that, you know. Um, uh, you know, anywhere from like the BART station in San Francisco to the post office. And there's a, you know, one block down, there's a hole in the fence. And that's how you go through. <laughs> track number four goes west. Track number nine goes, because these things have like literally hundreds of tracks, you know. So yeah. you have to know what, where each one goes, you know. And <laughs> the crew change guy or someone who's been there be like, oh, it's track number four is west. Track number nine is north. And yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and then duck in the. The, the bulls and stuff, um, which are the railroad police, you mm. know, and uh, depending on the line that you ride um, is how much jail time you're going to get. Um, so, <clears throat> you, you know, I think us Southern Pacific, no, Santa Fe is 90 days if they catch wow. you. Whereas I think Southern Pacific, um, there's like, they're just going to kick you off. Like, get out of here, kid. You know? yeah. uh, You ever... You ever sat in a cell for 90 days? Uh, not from, no, no, I haven't. I haven't done that much time. I did, uh, did a couple weeks once. Yeah, for, but uh-huh. not for hopping trains. I never, I got caught hopping trains, but the guy just kicked us off the train. Okay, okay. Do you find, um, because you've had this life where you're, you're moving around a lot. Do you find now that you're not really doing that, do you f- feel restless? I did for a very long time and I kept on moving. So, you know, when I stopped um, and left that band, that the bigger band, Apocalypse Theater, that I was in, I moved to the uh, East Coast and moved to New York. And then <clears throat> I couldn't stay anywhere for longer than six months. So I moved wow. from New York to Saratoga Springs. Um, I was there maybe for like eight months. And that's where really the Sire Drum kind of got its members and stuff and then uh we moved to burlington and picked up a few more members and then i stayed there for about a year 
and then moved back to New York. And no, I was actually there for longer than a year. I was almost there for two years at that point, but I was like 32, 33. And, mm-hmm. um, but even in, in that town, I moved. You know, when I first got there, I opened the recording studio and I did really well um, recording a lot of just a lot of bands and stuff. But like I, I was doing it too much and I wanted to play music. And so I moved into one of the punk houses in, that was closer to downtown Burlington and <clears throat> operated out of there. And uh, Saudi Drum got pretty popular and we started mm-hmm. playing around the East Coast and stuff in New York, Boston, you know, and um, and then uh, my studio got flooded and oh, no. I, I, I lost a yeah I lost a the mixes and masters to a bunch of people's albums and stuff and not to mention the equipment and I at that point I kind of threw my hands up and was just kind of like you know what I'm done yeah I'm done trying I'm gonna go get a career or something and um so I stopped and I worked on a novel for about two years while getting the move to move back to uh, Minneapolis to be with my kid, with my mm-hmm. ex, and uh, and then did that and worked on the novel while here and just, uh, you know, I had management experience and stuff like that, so I just kind of got pushed up the hierarchy and, and work, and then finally, uh, at the same time, I was building a recording studio again, and the itch was there. I just couldn't stop writing music, and as much as I wanted to, and kind of wanted to leave the whole thing and not be part of it anymore because I was like, this is an endless sinkhole of money and time. Mm-hmm. And, but, but you know, it's, it's still writing and I just couldn't help it. And so um, I had a bunch of songs that uh, all the, we had, our whole album was destroyed in that flood. So I had to piece together of what I had. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, there was members there on that album that I just really wanted their them on the next album and so i was able to take part of the computer to the fbi and they were able actually to pull out some of the files wow and, and uh so you know the are the first album we have in other words um there's probably 30 musicians on it and that was from those files that i was able to get wow. and they weren't the best versions but i really wanted that person because you know they were in the band and they were playing and they had given me so much mm-hmm. and um and um you know so some of them were the best recordings and i had to work with what i had to work with um but i re mastered them and then pulled them out and then played on top of them with a whole new group of people and um uh, released that <clears throat> on under that guys and you know with uh, some of those people are in the lineup now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know um, it was it was you know, my lifetime's work. But after being put through the ringer, yeah. You know, um, what's the uh, what made you want to write a novel other than like not wanting to write music anymore? Why I'm a novel a, specifically? I'm a voracious reader. Uh huh. Yeah, I I, I I read a lot, and. Uh, Everyone was like, "Oh, you're gonna write a biography?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> um, I, I wrote a, I wrote a, like a hard science space opera. Oh, that's fun. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Are you um, gonna self-publish it? Have you self-published it? Have you published I, a publisher? I stopped writing halfway through, so I'm at 600 yeah. pages. It's a big. Oh wow. It's a big novel, and uh, I kind of ran out of time. I hit a stop 
made yeah. a writer's block. I, I couldn't make my middle work. I was having a hard mm-hmm. time, and my ending was iffy. So mm-hmm. I was struggling with that, and uh, I just kind of put it down and didn't. I picked it up a couple of times and have done some edits and stuff like that, and like cut out a ton. Um, yeah, but but um, yeah, I kind of need to go back to it at some point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, that's up to you. No pressure here. Um, <laughs> sounds interesting, though. Um, is it is it hard having a kid that you don't, like, to share custody with? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. See him. I, I see him. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, what I mean. But, like, is it, is it hard to find balance with that is what I mean to say. Yeah, you know, he, he, but honestly, his mom is really cool. And mm-hmm. she can be hard, but but she's uh, you know she's been around artists her whole life. She's a counselor. Mm-hmm. She works with uh, you know urban youth. Um, okay. She's a really good mom. She's always been a mom. She was a mom when she was four. Yeah, yeah. Know? And uh, she was always the queen. Um, you know, she was in the that band. She was the lead singer of the band that I was in that had gotten pretty popular. Uh-huh. And. Um, so, but when she, we were going to have a kid and everything like that, like she just jumped right into gear and just knew how to do everything. And it was just pretty much just like, you know, uh, you know, um, just give her money and do what she says and just everything should work out pretty good. You know? And, and it has, I mean, he's, he, uh, you know, he's a talented, smart little dude. Yeah. Uh, how old is he, may I ask? Oh, there's two. There's oh. Basil, Basil was from a former girlfriend who I don't see as much, but we do talk. And then mm-hmm. there's Elias, who's uh, 15, and mm-hmm. yeah, I see I see him all the time. Um, either of them starting playing the music? No, <laughs> they all. want nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, um, they, you know, they both were raised in these music artists communes. Uh, mm-hmm. We had always had three or four roommates. Uh, usually, they were in the band with us, and uh, we always had artist friends over, and we always had musicians over. You know, you could definitely say three nights a week. You know, it was too loud to watch TV because somebody was practicing downstairs. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so that was you know, I, I could see that being the reason they're like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that ever in my life. <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. Um, we're talking a little bit about how you were restless at the beginning. Um, was there anything that you actively did to try to dissuade that, or did it just go away in time? Time, just yeah. working. Time, trying to be normal. Uh huh. Yeah, that the goal? normal stuff. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I wanted to provide that for my ex and my kid. You know, yeah. I wanted to have this normal salary job thing, which you mm-hmm. know, I did eventually. But just you know, I also played music too, and yeah. you know, um, you know, and and I do have that now. Mm-hmm. 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 So you know, having some kind of normal structure is nice. Yeah, does, and I assume that also helps with the like the sobriety too. That things are yep. so chaotic. Yep. Yeah. Um, what would your biggest piece of advice to someone who's trying to get sober be? Uh, 
run and hide. <laughs> if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Hide somewhere. Get away. Just need just need a little bit of time. Uh-huh. What about someone who's trying to stay sober? You can still hide. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, it, 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 there isn't anything. You know, yeah. there's no magic trick. You know, do what you can. Uh, there's no one answer. You know, like, take AA, for instance. Uh, what is it, 15%? That's a yeah. terrible figure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible figure. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't be walking around with any pride on my shoulder to say something, you know. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of antihistamines. There's a lot of new science going out there, you know, where you can take things that will help, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's active drugs that you can take that you can't smoke crack. It doesn't matter how much crack you smoke, nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. same thing for alcohol. There's even a one uh, that you can take it and you can enjoy the first drink. You're just not going to enjoy the second. Oh. Which is really awesome. Yeah. And that doctors aren't prescribing this shit. I, yeah. It's beyond me, but you know, people can look it up for themselves. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you drink from time to time. Um, do, are you ever concerned? Do you ever get anxious about that? No, I, I'm I'm super careful. Why is that the exception? Because I made it. So. Okay. So going back to the the ride in the rail thing, because that I honestly that's absolutely fascinating. I'm sorry if you're getting bored about talking about it, um, but there's this whole like mystique surrounding people who do that. Like, and the, there's like um, symbols and signs. Can you confirm or deny that? Or oh can't. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, see so if you got a triangle with uh, two arms pointing out and then three fingers off those two arms. That means Manwood Glenn lives here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the international squat sign is an N with an arrow pointed up. Mm. It, and you put that in the window of the squat you're squatting. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a bunch of hobo tags. You know, there's the FTRA, which is the Freight Train Riders of America. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. they're a bunch of pretty much bandits. Honestly, you know, they rob freight trains and and they hang out in gangs. They're a bunch of rednecks, honestly, you know, kind of yeah. like bikers, but on freight trains. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I avoided them. Yeah. You know, as much as possible. I mean, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, freight train yards are usually located also in like the worst part of town. Like, so you you have to be a little cautious. Mm-hmm. Going, going to and getting out of and stuff like that, and you know, it's not always the case, but you know, there's a lot of times, you know, it's it's pretty far out there, and um, it's in a pretty lousy neighborhood, and you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're sitting in a yard waiting for the train for a while, you know, mm-hmm. it can be d- dicey. Yeah. Um, as a father, are you concerned that any of your predispositions are genetic? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. How do you? Uh, we talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, we openly talk about it. His mom talked to him about it. I talked to him about it. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you think it comes from genetics on your end too? Oh, it definitely does. Yes. Oh yeah. My, yeah, my grandfather died. My dad's a, you know, recovering guy. Um, uh-huh. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> and uh, 
Yeah, long history, long Russian history of lots of <laughs> Russian drink, yeah. drug use. Yep. So, and he knows all that too. So, he, you know, it, it, he so far he is. I mean, you know, kids, not even. I, 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 I would find it pretty unimaginable for him mm-hmm. to go in that direction. I mean, he wants to be either a rabbi or an international lawyer, and he's like <laughs> on the way to do it. Like he's gets. He aces all his classes. He's in every extra activity. You know, he mm-hmm. takes engineering 101, drone building, like computer tech, computer program, aim programming. I mean, he's <clears throat> we both like science a lot too. So we talk a lot about science and uh, game development. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've bought him a lot of the tools needed, Real Engine, uh, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> Blender, the stuff you need to make you know, game characters and game physics and stuff like that. You know, That's he's really into that stuff right now. That's great. Um, does it make you feel concerned, like, knowing that it is a genetic history, that, like, you're somehow, like, predetermined in a way to be this way? Yeah. And that you don't yeah. have agency? Yeah. It stopped me from having another kid. Really? Yeah. 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 I didn't want... I figured I lucked out. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and yeah, and that actually was the part of why my last, my, his mom and me's relationship, like she wanted to have another one and mm-hmm. I was too afraid that, I, see. You know, I was like, this one's really good, man. And I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. The fuck up? Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I understand. Um, how do you. Do you have, like, residual... I know a lot of people who are recovering have, like, a lot of residual anxiety from the from the years of drug use. Do you have any of that? Absolutely. How Suffer do you... From depression, all this stuff. I take medication. Oh, yeah? Especially when I had a spell when, uh, uh, when, when my... Two years ago, when I had this, like, one year-long period where, like, nine of my friends died. And, okay. yeah, I sunk into a really big depression over that, you know, and... It was not just, I mean, these were people I lived with, you know, they, they, they were yeah. friends and, uh, um, and it wasn't just like that they were gone and I wasn't going to see them anymore. It was also it was like, what life choices in my life do I make? Do I attract people that would die or commit suicide, OD, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, uh, you know, so it did a number on me too, you know? Yeah. And, and so I started, and then I started feeling like I would, might die soon. Yeah. And that thought wouldn't, uh disappear out of my head mm-hmm. you know i kept having the feeling like i was gonna die mm-hmm. and do you do were you hesitant at all when you were first prescribed medication because of the the drug history no because it's it's two different things yeah, yeah okay antidepressant medication you know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it helps with anxiety and shit like that and you know mm-hmm. it, you know uh, it's it's not one and the same. And even if it was, what does it matter? If I, it's better than me feeling like shit all the time. So, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> yeah. You know. I understand that. I had a whole conversation with my girlfriend about that as well when I was starting to get on medication. She's like, well, if you feel better, like, who who gives a shit? <laughs> like, yeah. it improves your life, man. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I, I was torn up about it because I wanted to be this, like, healthy, pure guy and everything like that. And, yeah. you know. I finally just said, fuck it, you know, um, and then after like five months later, when it really is kind of a part of your life and everything like that is like, and you're like able to like not wake up and want to die or, 
you know, I think you're going to die or whatever, you know, you start realizing like, yeah, I kind of need to stay on this, you know? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, did you have any like cultural hangups with that at all? Like growing up? Yeah. My, my folks are like, we're vegetarians, really purist health Mm -hmm. freaks. My dad's a big rock climber, you know, they're, you know, they moved from like New York to like the mountains to, you know, be in the mountains. And, uh, so, you know, growing up there was that whole Prozac thing was going on and they just kind of felt like they were feeding everyone drugs and, and it was bad, you know? (laughs) And, um, you know, we didn't have any like preservative food in our house, you know? Wow. Yeah. So like, you know, going over, staying over at Buddy's house and having Captain Crunch was a pretty exciting. (laughs) And that's where it all started. No. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Do you still like feel any sort of stigma or shame surrounding that because of all that residual stuff? No, you're over it. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Um, Yeah. Um, Do you do therapy as well? You know, I, yeah, yeah, about, you know, I see somebody about once a month. Okay, just as, like, a check-in, like a doctor's yeah. check-in? Mm-hmm. Right on. Um, had you seen someone for more frequently? I did for a period of time there, yep, absolutely. Did you find it helpful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you find the right person, yeah, that's really the important part. You know, you got to find someone who can relate to you, you know. Um, it doesn't... I am not of the belief 100% that it has to be something like an ex-addict. Yeah. Um, but it's helpful. Yeah. To have that. You know, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're going to understand that you're going to get the crazy shit that you think. Yeah. Yeah. That all makes sense. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I would imagine that's kind of the, the idea behind a sponsor with AA, even mm-hmm. though that's not exactly the same. Um, because... One's, oh, you know, licensed psychologist and one's just a, a person that's gone through some stuff, which is, there's a bit of a difference there. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a difference. Um, but yeah, I don't have any other questions for you, but if you have anything else you want to say, I will gladly listen. No, I'm pretty good.